You like Fireboy? I do. You're listening to Your Tables on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes your host, Jeff Beck. Well, hello. Thanks for tuning in to Your Tables on Fire. This is episode number 10. Okay, with me today, we have two guests. We have Aaron Cook and John Meatling, the founders of Portal Dragon and the designers of Zephyr, Winds of Change. Aaron and John, thanks for joining me on Your Tables on Fire. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot. Why don't you both take a minute and introduce yourselves? Do it, Aaron. We'll go alphabetical. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> my name's Aaron. I uh, have a wife and kids, uh, two kids. Uh, my uh, daughter's gonna, about to be six. My son is about seven months or about just about to be seven months old. And they're, you know, I spend a lot of time with them. We do gaming on the side, you know, the design and, uh, you know, just for fun on the side. Full-time job. I, you know, would love to get into doing more and more uh, board game stuff. Yeah, my name is John Meatling, and I know we're going to give a full family history and everything. Well, I, I also have a wife and <laughs> two kids, and I, I, I love them like a regular human. Um, you know, but, if you uh, give us your security number, credit card, anything yeah. like that. Is- um, well, actually, I posted that online already, so I can okay, give you the website we'll for it. Uh, no, I'm a graphic designer full-time. I do web development, graphic design, and art for actually a nonprofit uh, that works with children with special needs right now. In my spare time, I take on too many projects, and one of those is game development. That's been consuming all of our time for the last, uh, all our extra time for the last three years, uh, working on Zephyr Winds of Change. We've had, you know, working on a few other designs too, but this has been my baby. You know, I, I do all the artwork for it, and it's based off of a storyline that I started to create when I was working for a video game startup. And so there's a, a lot of ties I have to this project, and so it's it's super exciting where we're at today. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your guys' gaming background. What got you hooked into the gaming hobby? Well, we both kind of started as magic players. I think that's where a lot of people end up starting out. To me, it wasn't really like... I don't know. It didn't. It wasn't a hobby like it is today. When we got in, when we were into magic, um, we we got into a few different games. But I don't know. We didn't really consider it a full blown hobby like board gaming has become like this chunk of your life that it, it is for us today. So we played uh, a lot of magic. For me, it got to that dangerous point where I every time I drove by a Target or a Meyer or anywhere that carried them, I was like, I could just stop. <laughs> I could buy a couple packs, you know, maybe a corset or two, um, you know, <laughs> and uh, that was getting, you know, to a bit of a dangerous part of the hobby when I was buying things and, and trying to pretend like I wasn't buying them from my wife. And I was like, this is dangerous now. This is getting to like a relationship. It's going to hurt and stuff. But I, I love magic and what you could do with that. I started my first real like game that I got into actually was not magic, but it was a Decipher's Star Wars customizable card game. I don't know why I was like, magic seems too nerdy for me, so I'll do a Star Wars. Card game. <laughs> That's not nerdy at all. <laughs> Which I was, of course, way off base with. Um, I mean, I was the nerd among the magic people, but no. But anyway, so always drawn to you know playing games in general a lot with video games and stuff. But getting into magic, and actually, me and Aaron both kind of follow. We've been friends for years. I, we're in each other's weddings, and you know, we've been a big part of each other's lives for twenty years. Not twenty yet. Not twenty. It, it's been a long it. time. Like fifteen. Years, it feels like 20 <laughs> no it feels more like 10 minutes underwater no sorry that's a <laughs> real bad joke <laughs> anyways we've actually got into uh tactics and it was uh like hero clicks for children 
we uh, ended up going to tournaments, running a few of our own tournaments. But the cool thing about that game was it was like, you know, you had all had miniatures figurines, but they actually took action. So when you shoot someone, you actually load the bullet into a spring-loaded little gun and press the button and it shoots across the table at another guy. And if you knock him down, then he's dead. And when you swing with a lightsaber, he has a spring-loaded lightsaber that you pull back and you ratchet it back and let go and it swings and hits the guy. If he knocks over, he dies. And we, we really loved that game. But anyways, that kind of started us along the journey and then Catan made it to our table and since then I have lost all of my money to my shelves of board games and that's kind of where I'm at. You covered a lot of the stuff, John, but honestly, getting into gaming, my the original start would definitely be video games. It's still a big part of my gaming is definitely video games. And so looking into it, like I, I tend towards games that fill some of those same roles as video games would. I, we always played a ton of cooperative games. Even though I loved the stories of some single player games, I had a hard time spending all that time when I feel like I could have been doing stuff with my friends, doing stuff you know with, with people that I wanted to hang out with. And so it was kind of a pretty easy move from cooperative video games moving over to cooperative board games yeah gaming for both of us has always been a very social activity and so i'm the same way with single player games if i am playing a game i want to play with people and people i i know and make a connection and you know make friends online and stuff but and so that's what when we started getting into board gaming that's all it is it's interesting to see what's happening with the world i guess of gaming and a lot of video gamers are coming back to the table i I think that's a really cool thing that we're getting reconnected with people once again and having the face-to-face interaction rather than the like face-to-screen a big part of it too i guess is like my family and my wife my kids they don't play the games that i play online for being able to play board games with them and you know sitting and playing loop and chewy with the boys or bringing some of these other games to the table uh, with my wife and stuff is very cool for bringing more people it's encouraging you to bring more people to the table so i play the same games with my parents my grandparents my children you know that has been what's really excited me about the board game experience over the last what five six years that we've been into that dig back for me come up with a memory either a really good memory or just an awful disaster memory around a game. <laughs> oh, you want us to like trudge on back into like early yeah, experiences? You know, the first time you played Monopoly. Oh. <laughs> okay, so my sister, my sister has always been really good at games. So if you want to trudge on back to like Monopoly stuff, she's the kind of player that she is not paying attention at all to the game and she's destroying everyone. You know, so we're playing Monopoly and just all the dice are going her way. She's got Boardwalk and Park Place and just tearing us apart while watching TV. And we're all like faces right up against the board, like trying to strategize, you know, of course, however much strategy there is. And she's just whooping us, you know. So, I mean, I guess that's ancient memory from me. My family growing up, we used to play, you know, of course, like your standard board games. Uh, Monopoly was a big one. My mom and dad loved it. My mom was one who like never once ever, you know, gave us any bit of a chance when we were younger. She would play to win every time we'd play. Growing up, we'd be pretty competitive playing, you know, games like Monopoly, of course. I have a twin brother and a couple of younger siblings, and we would get pretty, you know, loud when we're playing games like that against each other. Right after I got married, I brought my wife over and, and we we're like, oh, well, we'll just play Monopoly with the family. We're playing this game and I'm getting into it. I think I'm winning and everything's going amazing. I look over, my wife just looks terrified. And like, so <laughs> afterward, I talked to her and she's like, you guys were like so angry and yelling at each other the whole time. And I, I thought like you guys were going to get into a fight. And I was like, the whole time I'm thinking like, this was a wonderful, fun family experience. You know, I'm like, um, you know, my wife is always, you know, a little bit hesitant to get into. She's like absolutely refused to ever play Monopoly with my family again. But to me, I still have no recollection of it being anything but super positive, you know, so. <laughs> Monopoly, yeah. bringing families together since 1915. A hundred percent. 
Yep. <laughs> in my family, they claim it's the cause of my brother's divorce from his first marriage. Is oh, that no. it was monopoly? Now, of course, there's of course more going on there, but that was like the moment they realized who each other were. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you guys get started into game designing? Well, that's an interesting story there. We have always talked about creative projects we like to work on together. So every time we'd get together, we would disappear into like a, a different room in, or, or whatever from what was going on and come up with some crazy weird activity to do. One time there was balloons left over from a party and you know how the balloons sometimes like have the weighted thing on it? Well, it got all like wrapped up and it was like this really crazy volleyball-ish kind of game we created across like my bed. We would hit it at each other and try to get it to the floor on the either side, and we ended up breaking the ceiling fan out of the thing. We've always naturally, like without trying, tried to create fun experiences when hanging out together. And that kind of translated into actual board game design. Anyways, as we've grown and grown and skill groaned, did I do that? <laughs> I did. Um, <laughs> as we grew in skills, we found that this was a great outlet. And actually, the story behind Portal Dragon comes from my house. Actually, in a, we, we live in Michigan. And uh, actually, right now, it's, it's a beautiful Michigan springtime. We have snow outside, so that's wonderful. <laughs> but anyways, uh, we had a really bad winter one year. and uh, My pipes froze in our house while we were at Christmas, you know, having a wonderful family experience. And I went from there to work, you know, the following Monday. And my wife calls me in tears because our whole house is flooded. The ceiling is caving in and everything like that. So our house was destroyed. And I was estranged from my computer and all of my normal work and projects that I take on. And I was in a hotel for four months. Aaron and me were, you know, hanging out one night. I'm like, I can't work on any of my normal stuff. He's like, well, let's do that board game thing we've been talking about doing forever. And so we sat down and it spawned the way we prototype now because we basically said, let's make a game tonight. Not like, let's just talk about an idea and stuff like that. It's like, let's get something to the table and no matter how ugly it is, let's get something playable. And that's been the way we do things like, you know, creating games and stuff. We're like, let's do something and figure out how this works and explore through action. I like to get things to the table and to actually do it because through the experience, you know, of course, spreadsheets and everything have their value and we come back and do that stuff later normally. But getting to the table and getting that feeling of how pushing bits works is the way we end up doing all of our prototyping. So no matter how ugly or terrible the game is, we normally try and say, here's the idea, go. And in a couple hours, we have something that normally is thrown away. But, you know, <laughs> it's the, that's what starts the process. And we go, oh, that was a cool idea. Can we take that further or push it in this new direction? And that's how our games end up getting created. That initial spark of an idea, is that usually a theme or is that usually a mechanic? We kind of go back and forth either way on that. We both have kind of rather long drives to work our day jobs. And so almost every day on the way to work, the way back from work, about an hour each way, we have these discussions. And so a lot of times we'll be talking about something completely different. And John will be like, hey, I've got this an idea for a mechanic. And like he'll just kind of throw it out there and we'll start building a theme around it where the next day I might throw something theme-wise to start. So we've really had kind of a 50-50 split, I would say there, between starting with theme or starting with mechanic. And like John was saying, a lot of times these ideas we come up with are not great, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of times they're pretty terrible. And so, but what we do end up uh, being able to do is we might have one interesting thing that made it out of that conversation. And as we take all our notes and keep everything organized, we'll then come back and be able to pull, you know, these different smaller mechanical elements once we have like a better theme developed and try to push those together. 
And it's been really interesting just seeing if we actually go back and look at where we start with these ideas in games. A lot of them are a huge far cry from where they are. Like Zephyr, for an example, started with some construction paper and sticky notes and a couple markers. And <laughs> and uh, it was the first of, of what we now call our rapid prototyping sessions where, like John's saying, we come up with an idea ahead of time, a theme or a mechanic or, you know, maybe just a word, you know. We get together, we throw some stuff down idea-wise, we kind of vote on which one we think is the most exciting, and then we all delve our, our efforts into that specifically. And we end up, you know, I mean, two, two, three hours later, we end up with something on the table, which is very gratifying. And you get to see pretty quickly whether it has potential or not. But even if it doesn't, doesn't mean it wasn't a, you know, a good exercise at the very least. We really love the process. And if you don't love that you're doing it, I mean, I don't know why you're doing it in a way. I mean, not, it's, it can't be for the paycheck right now, you know? <laughs> we actually have two games now. I mean, Zephyr is still in crowdfunding, but it'll be our second game. And between those two, we have one that started with theme, and that's Zephyr. It's dripping with theme. Then our other game, Pick the Lock, is a very, very light game that the theme is, you know, it's there. But as far as it goes, it started with mechanics. We had this guessing mechanic. I set a range, and then I have to guess what you are going to guess within that range. Well, let's talk specifically about Zephyr. To start off with that, for anyone listening who's not familiar with the game, do you just give us the pitch about it? Oh, you want the spiel? Yes. Okay, well, I'll take that one, Aaron, because I've done it. <laughs> All right. Zephyr Winds of Change is a cooperative modular tabletop adventure for one to four players, where you take on the role of a steampunk airship captain. As a captain of an airship, you've been recently recruited to a band of vigilantes who call themselves Zephyr, and your main purpose is to defend the last shred of civilization against the ever-growing evils of a fallen world. So that's the spiel that I give every time I... Were you reading I, that I, off I, a page? Oh, no. That was no. a little too smooth. <laughs> I have done that uh, hundreds and hundreds of times because <laughs> I, I run, run demos. Uh, I have some sort of disease, I think, because every time we run an event, I need to run games of Zephyr nonstop from the moment the doors open to the moment they kick us out because it's too late. I've been noticing it's a problem because there's so much cool stuff going on at these events and I miss out on all of it because I'm running games. But I also love that interaction with people and want people to experience our games. So it's an internal battle that I have. But back to Zephyr, the whole purpose of Zephyr that we wanted to accomplish with it, we wanted a cooperative game that empowered our players to make their own decisions. Too often in cooperative games, we find that there is the alpha gamer or the person who owns the game or whatever that ends up basically telling you what to do. And you're like, did you need me here for this? And, stuff. and though those games can be very fun, I mean, I love a lot of those games. It's a game where you have to look at your player base and say, is that right for my player base? And that is a little bit funny to me. So we wanted a game that gave you the flavor of what happens in a lot of video games. So if we're playing a video game together, that's a team-based video game. I'm not going to tell you exactly what to do because if I am doing that, then I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing. And so we need to be working together to you know, figure out and you need to make your own decisions. And even if they're poor, they're yours. Now, with that, a lot of games end up having such simple turns that you can't help but give your opinion on uh, other people's turns and stuff. And Zephyr, you know, your turns are, are still fairly simple, but you have your own ship, you have your own stuff that is going on, and then you contribute to the team. Similar to like in a video game where you create a character and you upgrade that character, you say, I'm going to get this power now and that power then, and now I'm going to contribute to the team because I've been building my guy this way. 
a lot of co-op games end up, you're not creating a character, you're making the decisions in order. And so I made this decision, then later you have to make that decision. But in this, you're actually creating a character, which is your ship. And so you're the captain of the airship, and you start off with a blank slate. Each ship has its own unique ability and a, a base action deck of 10 cards and a unique layout of what systems you have. So you might end up going with a, a ship that has a lot of guns on it, and I take one that doesn't have that many, but it has different other utilities it can bring to the table. Now, though each ship has their own unique roles that they fill, when you build your ship, you can kind of skew that style or, or push it, augment it in a different way. So I could take a damage dealer and say, look, I'm not going to build him all straight as a glass cannon. I'm going to build him as more of a bruiser. So I'm going to give myself a little bit more health and be able to have some more survivability so I can go out on my own a little bit more. Or I could say, you know what, me and Aaron are going to go and I'm going to play the tanky guy so he can play that glass cannon and give us the damage and be that like magey kind of character. And so you have that freedom to kind of sculpt your own role even within that little bit of a blueprint that the ships start with. Another pretty important part about it is the modularity of it. Um, almost every part of the game from, you know, when you're choosing your mission to how you lay out your ship with different types of items, weapons, tech, or engines for maneuverability, all the way down to hiring crew and what faction those crews are. Every part of that can be swapped out to different modular components. So a crew is like a personality and a faction, and each different personality can end up resting on top of each different faction card, giving hundreds of possibilities. By the time you add in each different ship, a bunch of different items of different class. Um, once you, you know, do all the math for that, we have like hundreds of thousands of possibilities. And that's just in how you uh, lay out your ship. And then when you start breaking down like which assignments you choose and how you end up taking those assignments, if you want to go on your own or go with as a group, uh, what type of rewards, like uh, the re replayability is super, super high. And I think it's going to allow people to do a lot of experimenting and have a lot of fun playing a game that is hopefully going to be challenging. You, you're going back really quick to games like, you know, Magic, you know, maybe I want to build my deck a certain way and I want to do something that maybe it's going to be a terrible deck but it has one really cool thing that allows you to if you can like get like 10 cards perfectly in a row you'll win every time you know so like using that kind of type of mindset with zephyr we wanted people to be able to build their ship however they want so like john said we give you a bit of a blueprint but go ahead and do whatever you want to do maybe you go ahead and try it and it fails miserably but maybe you end up getting that right combination of crew and abilities and you get a little bit of luck in your card draws and you can just take over the game which you know what i mean like everyone likes to be a superhero every once in a while so we want to leave those options available with so many different options available in the game how do you balance that how do you make sure there's no way to break the game that it's not too easy for some people it's not too hard for some people we start off with a, a lot of discussion about powers and stuff like that. And a lot of experience in gaming in general helps us have a decent starting point, but we still find, you know, broken stuff all the time. So the biggest solution for that is playtesting. We have played the game hundreds and hundreds of times. I've played single player over 150 times now or, or more. I've stopped counting because it was getting sad <laughs> in a way. But <laughs> I, I've played and I, I've won like in the last hundred games that I've counted, I've won one time. But I only play on hard. I won't play it on anything else. And so I want it to be difficult. But yeah, for balancing powers and abilities and playing with them, a lot of times we'll end up playing the game in slices where we take like a portion of it, go, okay, if we were say 20% of the way through the game, what is a typical type of resource we would have? And then just build the ship in a lot of different configurations and try out a lot of different things to see how would it end up working? Could I afford this? Does this become overpowered when I end up having this? Now, of course, there are just systems that are more powerful, but the big thing in the game is about if you're even able to get to that point. So there's a lot of times where you can get yourself to be overpowered, but it is more rare. And at that point, normally you should be end up spreading the wealth through the rest of the team. 
Of course, you could do that as a team too. You could end up saying, let's have a carry. Someone who's going to like do all of the damage for our team. So you just keep feeding him. So he does really, really well. And that's a strategy you can use. Of course, there are some levels of barriers in the way. One of the biggest things we wanted in the game, we wanted the theme and the mechanics to just merge perfectly. Most of the missions end up centralizing around going to rescue something. And so one of the main ones end up being you're rescuing the city of Flotsam and it's being attacked by an enemy commander. You're flying to this location. You have this time limit, this clock running down. You wouldn't be able to stop, uninstall all of the systems on my ship and reinstall them on your ship. There's some natural elements in there that keep players from necessarily doing that, of just being like, okay, well, I'll just end up dumping all of my resource onto you right before the end battle, and then I'll take on all the ships on me while you shoot them, or something like that. It doesn't work that way because you wouldn't possibly have that time. And if you do that throughout the game, you're going to have a a couple players that are really weak, and they could get caught off guard and get destroyed, and that can really cripple your team. And that was, again, something like Aaron said, the modularity we really wanted in the game was like there's games that I love that are hard to get to the table because you can't always justify that six hours. When you can, it's great, but it's hard with all of the groups that you play games with to justify that time. So we wanted a game that kind of adapted to your player base, both in difficulty and length, so that when you bring the game out, we go, okay, who's here? Oh, are you playing? Oh, you're not going to play? Okay, well, in that case, let's take on this mission. In a way, it's similar to like Dead of Winter, where you would select a scenario and it's going to say, this is short or long or whatever and it gives you kind of what you're going to be doing. That's a similar thing we have going on, but it gives you your starting supplies, the difficulty, the length of the game, everything on that mission card saying this is what you need to accomplish. And so we wanted that to adapt. So when I play Zephyr with my wife, we could play a shorter game that ends up being maybe a little bit easier because that's the style of game she enjoys. Where when me and Aaron sit down to play, we're going to play the long one, you know, and we're going to end up playing on, you know, hard. And that ends up giving you more of a challenge and we're probably going to get destroyed and lose. But it's about how far we made it and all of that sort of stuff. Well, I want to get back to something you mentioned just a few minutes ago about cooperative play. Because it seems like there's a spectrum Or on one side, you have the ability to quarterback and you have one guy just running the shots. On the other end of the spectrum, you have a situation where everyone's just kind of playing solitaire and they're doing their own thing. And yeah, you're all around the table playing the same game, but you're just doing your own thing. There's like no interaction. How do you balance those two? How do you find the perfect sweet spot inside of that spectrum? You know, we want you to be making those own decisions on your ship. And so you have 100% of control about what you do on your ship, how you spend your money. Once you get your scrap for us, but once you get it, you can keep it all, hoard it. You can spend it all. You can get yourself up to where you're really strong. And you could, you know, in one sense, you could let other people kind of suffer for that sense. Like, you know what I mean? Depending on, you know, if they're a bit weaker than you are. And that's okay. We want you to be able to do that. And depending on what type of gaming group you have, you know, like when we play, we're always doing everything we can to try to make our team the strongest. But we play with other people. We go to conventions play with them where if someone's you know coming there playing the game for the first time they might be more interested in their own play and that's great and we want them to be able to do that however when it comes down to it as the game gets farther into the game the game scales in difficulty and if you're not cooperating with your team you're going to have a very 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 difficult time getting anything successful done and you're most likely going to lose pretty bad so what we've done is we've you know kind of taken that where you get to make your own decisions you can choose to kind of go off on your own to a certain extent at times but if you don't work with your team you're just not going to win so good luck and, and have fun but uh, it's going to be a very difficult experience if you don't work together. Yeah, we've been getting a lot of comments on this subject on Board Game Geek forums and other places of, of people going, how cooperative is Zephyr? 
We've had some great reviewers take a look at the game, but all of them have explained from uh, like a one ship perspective. Explaining three ships at once is a little bit more time consuming and stuff. So they end up focusing on the one, because uh, it can be single player, the one kind of experience of how it can end up working. So most people end up looking at that and going, wait, if I can just do everything on my own, then how is this a cooperative game? Is it, it's just a group solitaire? They are weirded out by that. But if you sit down to play Zephyr and you play completely on your own, you're going to get destroyed and you're going to have a hard time. And that's just the reality of the game because the game scales as you go. It's kind of like in other games, you know, you have kind of like a farming time period where you're like, yeah, I'm weaker, but I'm stronger than the like minion type enemies that are out there right now. They're pretty easy to destroy. So this is a time I need to like build resource and take on guys and try and end up getting myself to a decent position because the game is going to basically level up at certain point. There are three tiers of difficulty and the enemy ships end up scaling as you move through the game from tier one, two to three. And when they're in tier three, they're very difficult. Even if you're real well built, they still can end up doing some damage to you and then multiple ships come out at once too and you can end up being in a situation where okay i'm gonna go off on my own in tier three which happens and aaron yells at me for I go, I can take on this mission by myself. I can do it. I know it. And then I go and I end up finding a commander that I'm stuck making the decision to fight him because of where I put myself. And so I have to fight a commander who brings two extra enemy ships in. So you have to end up always weighing that. And that's what we wanted to have with the game is that you are always balancing that risk versus reward going, okay, well, we just entered tier two and enemies are more difficult. We need two more assignments completed. Do we go ahead and split up and try and get both of them accomplished right now and get more rewards so we don't have to split them up because when you complete an assignment you get rewards but it's a flat amount so it could be like 20 scrap but if me and Aaron both go there then we have to kind of split that up among the team of who needs it more or whatever we do with that we actually, our last game that we played, we were playtesting some of the new ships that we're looking at adding to the game, you know, trying to put some of the final polish on them. And we had a battle that was really awesome because there's two guys and they're really formidable enemies. And it's two versus two. And I'm like, okay, right now, Aaron doesn't have a lot of defense. And I'm like, okay, I know that I'm going to get this next card because I had an ability that let me know what was on top of my deck. I know I'm going to get that defensive card. So let them both attack me and I'll just absorb the damage. So I'm not going to deal any damage. I'm just going to play all defensive stuff. And Aaron then goes, okay, cool. Well, I'll try and get my stuff to be all damage. And so he used some powers to make sure he was going to try and get some damage. And so he got one of the ships that he was able to damage, but not enough to kill him. So we got the one down to one health and the other one still got like five health. So then they're attacking me and I'm like, I don't have any more cards. I don't know what I'm going to have. And Aaron was like, well, I just played this and this. So have them switch. They're going to switch to me. So basically he pulled out in front and then I was the one dealing the damage. We had to go this dance back and forth to end up winning this battle. And we barely scraped by based on the roles and the what actions we got and the experience we had of just skimming off that victory that is the essence of what we wanted in Zephyr that you end up making all your decisions all your plans all your combinations of things and you sneaked out that victory uh, we've had a few like late night gaming sessions with people where they're like I'm like you want to try the game and they're like well it's kind of late I need to go to bed or whatever and uh, they start playing and then they keep playing when they started, they were like going to fall asleep at the table, but they get so excited and into that and their hearts pounding about these dice rolls and stuff. And that is really the essence of Zephyr is weighing that risk. And do I push it a little bit further and get myself in a better position so I can end up winning in the end? Let's talk about your Kickstarter project for a minute. How are things going? They're going well. Right now we're sitting at 47%. 
and we have 391 backers. The community has been phenomenal. We really are enjoying the interaction between our backers. Of course, we're not a really big company, you know, so we launched right next to Roxley, who they just did Santorini, which did, it just blew up, you know, they're tearing it up on Kickstarter. And so we launched in on the same week as them. And so we're looking at our campaign compared to their campaign. We have the same kind of price range, same goal, and they're just killing it. And we're like, we're trucking along, we're doing it, you know, and so, I mean. We're still here. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, their first game, Steampunk, rally even though it did phenomenal it, it took a while to get there it's our first big game and so you know i think for that we're doing great and we're really excited about the project we're coming up on 50 percent here and i think once we get over that hump of 50 percent, we definitely are going to see some increases because then it's not going to be about if we fund it's going to be about when we fund and so we should have a lot more people jumping on board and so right now the biggest thing is informing people and so we really do want to thank you for having us on here because the more people we can reach the better one of our biggest hurdles is getting people to know about zephyr about our game because we're not a big company Company, we're two guys, you know, and we're just trying to take our dream or our hobby and trying to make that into an actual business. It's a uphill battle. And especially in the board gaming industry, well, even though BGG is great, that's the closest thing we have to a central network of informing people, but it's still not quite there. The board game industry is so word of mouth that we need to engage with individuals and that's time consuming. Building that following, building that community, it takes time. We're really excited for where we're at right now. I mean, if we were, had a bigger community, we would have been funded day one, and that would have been exciting. But we're on our way, and we're very optimistic about the future for our project. You know, like John saying, we had one other successful Kickstarter project, but it was a, a lot smaller. It's like a small card game. So this one is, you know, huge in comparison, um, higher price point. We went through and we've done just a ton of work on the back end, going through and making sure that we had everything lined up, all of our quotes, all of our manufacturing, all of our shipping. You know, we did a lot of research and talked to a lot of people who launched Kickstarters. And, and you know, at the end, they realized they don't have enough money for shipping or they don't have enough money for this. Or, you know, there's going to be delays because of this, this, this and this, you know. And so taking that into account, you know, we had a few people ask, why is your goal at 50,000 when someone else who has a similar game, their goal is at 35,000? And our argument there is, you know, we, we're trying to make a very high quality game. We're going with really well-known printers. We're going with high quality components. And we are making sure that the money is going to be there to get the game to everyone and get the game chemically tested, you know, all, all the correct things we need to do to make sure that it can be sold correctly in stores, you know what I mean? And building toward our future. And so, you know, a lot of people miss a lot of those things in, you know what I mean? When they go and they say, oh, okay, I got a quote from a manufacturer that says X. Well, just because you can make the game for 25,000 doesn't mean you can make the game and get it tested and get it shipped and spread out and then, you know, distributed to all of your backers. There's a big difference there. So, you know, we try to do a lot on that and to make sure that we did everything right. You know, the other thing with this Kickstarter is it's been kind of cool and exciting. Just even when you look at it, I mean, you know, it's easy to look at some Kickstarters like, you know, Exploding Kittens, they got $3 million or something like that. But the fact that we're two guys, um, we've been doing this, you know, on our own and we have people around the world have spent $24,000 so far, pledged it to our project is very humbling and very amazing, you know like to use this opportunity to say thanks to all of our current backers so far. You're amazing. You're what we're doing this for. And we hope to, you know, just get Zephyr in front of as many people as possible and to, they can experience what we've been experiencing throughout this creative process. That's part of what we put in our video was that our backers are really important to us. And that's why we want to make a quality game. We don't want to come out with something subpar or promise one thing and then, you know, do a bait and switch. This is not a fly by night operation. We've spent weeks on just pouring over the spreadsheets of what it is going to cost and all of the different parts and what happens if we end up having this percentage of backers come from this region. And then we have to end up shipping more to that depot. And then those fees are going to get increased if we end up doing that and trying to end up doing as much research as possible 
possible to make sure that all of those costs are covered and we're able to fulfill with a quality product that comes in the time promised and that people end up being excited about that it is up to the quality they expected. We've been doing some really cool stuff with customizations. And so we actually have over 250 opportunities for people to be in the game. And so we actually have meetings with you to create your character at certain levels where you end up picking the different ones. We're actually sold out right now of what's called the Warlord. It's one of our most expensive ones um, where you end up becoming the big bad guy in certain missions. And that brings in like waves upon waves of enemies. We have a, a meeting that's a online chat with you, a video chat discussing what kind of character you would be in the game and how how we would end up matching that up with already currently balanced elements that are in the game. Then we also discussed the visual appeal of your character. What are you going to have? And you, you'll see some of the guys on there and stuff like there's one of the guys, uh, one of the main feature guys, he's got like this mechanical arm, you know, and that's a, a guy actually named Caleb Beach. He backed in one of our earlier promotions that we had. And he was like, yeah, I want to be a guy with like a ton of guns and I want a mechanical arm and stuff. So that's what we <laughs> drew him like, you know, and we matched up. We had a perfect power that worked with him that he deals damage based on how many crew members like he gave them all guns kind of a thing and so that is a, a really cool part too that people can not just get the game but be a part of the game and be a part of the creative process that's really cool kudos to you guys <laughs> thanks uh we definitely wanted we needed to find ways like we said we're not a big company we need something that's going to set us apart something that's going to grab people's attention we feel like our product is awesome you know we're excited about this game if we weren't we wouldn't be spending hours upon hours working on this stuff and pouring over kickstarter responding to comments and all this stuff this is our passion we love this game and we think what we've created is a really quality product that we're bringing to the market a new experience something different and we've that's what we've gotten in feedback from people is they were like this is different oh i like that that's you know, I've not had that experience. And that's what inspired us to take it to Kickstarter, to take it to that next level. We think that Zephyr is an awesome game, but the biggest issue is people don't know about it. People don't know or care who Portal Dragon is. They're like, we're, you know, we've never seen a game from you before. <laughs> so it's it's hard to get over that hump. We wanted to focus on a lot on the artwork, a lot on some of the, the cool aspects of the game to show this is a real product. We're serious about this. And even though we are a small company, we're a new company, we're two passionate individuals who want to share our passion with the world well aaron and john i have to confess that the real reason i brought you onto your tables on fire was to play the game design challenge nice okay. nice get ready for it here's how okay. it works i'm going to give you a game theme just randomly going to pick one and then you guys can discuss it mold it over a little bit and then i want you to pitch me a game based on that theme you guys up for that sure, sure. yeah sounds fun okay good so i'm going to pick a random theme your theme is going to be. Your theme is going to be breaking up. Breaking up. Okay. Breaking up. Like an asteroid breaking up in space. You take that however you want it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Breaking up. Um, are, are we getting anything else, or are we just taking it from theme? Do we have nope, any? That's it. Go. Okay. No, no mechanics. No box size. No, no components. Anything you want. Okay, John. I got this. Are you ready? Think like Armageddon. I'm right? Thinking. Is that the movie? Where yep. they had to go stop the asteroid. Bruce Willis. So here's the thing, the though. But instead of like Bruce Willis and the other guy on there, we're sending. It's a two-player game to start. You know, maybe we can expand it. A couple of asteroids, and it's a male, male and female. They're a couple. You know, maybe they're maybe they're not, but they're, whatever. They're they're a couple though. Okay, <laughs> they're sent up to an asteroid to destroy the asteroid to break it up. But on top of it, one of them is trying to break up with the other person <laughs> because they just chose like the worst time in history to, you know what I mean, actually do the breakup, you know? So everyone needed to talk about breaking up a, on tech. Is this a secret role thing? Uh, maybe, maybe, yeah. Player. I can see that being a secret role thing. You. You're breaking up with me. 
Right. So here's the thing: you to win, you both have to, you know, successfully do something to destroy this asteroid to break it apart. And maybe there's multiple different ways, different size asteroids, different things. But you also to win, you have to be the one to like actually break off the relationship. <laughs> okay. Well, what we could do too, we could end up taking this. We could do a love triangle. Sure. So we have three people Ooh. going. Mm-hmm. We don't know who is trying to break it off with who. And okay, so okay. leaving one of you on, on the asteroid and then <laughs> the other two people have to make it off. So, okay. So me and you and Jeff are, are going yep. to the asteroid. And so mm-hmm. my goal, it shows me what my goal is. I have to get off the asteroid with Jeff and leave you to die. And that is the, the goal <laughs> of the game. It's okay. I like being that. that I, I, we have this love triangle that we have to figure out or could, I guess, go, you know, four player, but it's about, Oh, but I've seen that before. I've seen that. There's a boat game where you have to have a survivor's where you have like a partner and you want them, you have like an enemy and you have a lover and the lover has to stay alive and the enemy has to die. So I've seen that before, but it doesn't mean it can't end up working. Yeah, no, I feel like we could focus on some of the, you know what I mean? Like, cre- I don't know how we do it. We got to come up with a mechanic, but creative ways to like hint you know what I mean? At people, different things. You know, I, I don't know. I feel like it could be different cards, different ways. Maybe it's, it's using some type of, uh, you know, a mechanic that involves text boxes. You know, if you think back to like, you know, video games where you present something, you'd have multiple options depending on what you picked. You know what I mean? It could trigger something else. Oh, yeah. Like okay. Okay. Like the old you know, game, you choose A, B, or C. Or, well, well, that's the new ones too, where you end up yeah, yeah. based on your decision and ends up like changing different ways. Right. I'm just trying to think. I'm just trying to think of how we take the. How we take, you know, this main thing. So let's say we have to blow up an asteroid, destroy a ship that's coming to blow up Earth. Whatever it is, it would be something and you'd play that off of the breaking up, you know what I mean, for two different situations. So whether it was a friendship that was breaking apart or a love triangle type thing, something like that. But I think the focus would be so you'd have stacking multiple mechanics where one thing would be maybe a very, let's say, Euro style, you know, heavy control thing where you're building out, you know, something you're working together cooperative. But at the same time, you're trying to end up making the best case for Maybe you're convincing them they should be the one to stay. <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, okay. I mean, it could also end up being that you have, you know, that this is your part of the space corporation and stuff. And so you're mm-hmm. trying to end up making it that you are, um, you know, what, who's the best team or, you know, try and end up like almost betraying the certain end of people. So the goal is to have this cooperative game that ends up, you know, shaping everything. And then you, as we're destroying this asteroid. Mm-hmm. You are collecting these different bits of information, and based on the information, you can end up using that in part two of the game to end up almost having like that political side. So if we end sure. up being able to destroy the asteroid, now we end up going, okay, who has the most dirt or whatever on the other person in order to get, <laughs> get them kind of like demoted so you can get yourself promoted or something like that. Sure, sure. So you could end up like putting them in a situation where they had to end up sacrificing a piece of equipment. And because they ended up doing more damage than they needed to, to the one lander, now that ends up being, you know, worse for your corporation or something like that. And so they end up losing influence points or something over it. This is amazing. This is probably the best game <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> this is how, honestly, this is exactly how our, our game talk interactions go. And and so it's funny that you just bring up a theme because that's exactly what we like to do. And so, uh, you know, just moving forward, uh, our next step would be we'd actually sit down over a couple hours. We would figure out how this would actually work. And like we said, we'd probably end up taking like, you know, your, our first start would be you take square thing. We'd cut it into pieces so it kind of puzzle shape and fit together. And then we'd have different parts where you are standing on this asteroid and try to figure out what we're doing. And we'd end up coming with something just awesome awful you know what i mean um but uh you know hopefully it could turn into something but um and it, it is funny you probably can hear it in our voices like talking about stuff like this is pretty exciting to us maybe it's super nerdy but you know um that's the type of thing that really keeps us excited about what we're doing well well done 
definitely. We have to write those ideas down. Anyway. I know they're they're good ones. I'm I'm putting them in right now. Oh, I think okay. Jeff owns them now. So we, you know, we just we like so about, about uh, you know, we next year exactly, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, next listen, year man. about this time we'll be coming out with our next. Yeah, Kickstarter when they come out on Kickstarter, that's up. fine as long as you as long as you give me some reference. That's for, all sure, we for sure. <laughs> all right, Aaron and John, it has been just a pleasure having you on. Well, thank you. We, yeah. we really enjoyed it. Well, that was Aaron Cook and John Meatling the founders of Portal Dragon, and the creators of Zephyr, Winds of Change, currently on Kickstarter. You've been listening to your Tables on Fire. Follow us on Twitter at TableFire, and pop over to our website, www.yourtablesonfire.com. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher, so head over there and give us a five-star review. Until next time, we'll see you later.